Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Is this the nightcap? Yo, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Time now for the nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. So I got what I think is a pretty fun topic, but it's almost kind of gimmicky. It's almost like a, like a summer idea, if you know what I mean. Like It's something I generally talk about if there's not much going on, but it's very timely. So it's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR, full show tonight, going right up till 9 o'clock. I want your calls throughout the night at 803-0550. It's December 2019. That means 2020 is right around the corner. That means this decade as a whole is coming to clo- to a close. And, you know, a very popular thing to do right now, like I watch Inside the NBA generally on, uh, on t- is it Thursday nights, Tuesday nights? They generally change it around with uh, Charles Barkley, Shaq, uh, Kenny Smith, and Ernie. Then you've got the stuff going on in ESPN. Everybody's doing their all-decade teams for for certain things. And it's not just in sports and pop culture, too. Like, I saw Taylor Swift, one artist of the decade. Like, everybody's doing of the decade right now. And you got a, you got a time window here. You got, you got a month, right? December to January, then you're going to hit 2020, and everyone's going to want to forget about the, the, the 2010s. What are we calling these? The 2010s? I don't know. It seems like at some point... We changed to, we went from 2010 to 2017. I don't really know when that change occurred, but um, like what was the, the movie 2012, which looking back now is an awful, awful film, but it was playing off of everyone thought the world was going to end. And uh, it was always 20, was it 2012 or was it 2012? Maybe that's when the change occurred. I don't know. But I got, you, got, you got a few weeks here to do something. As my microphone decides to start breaking. Great time on that. Um, but we've got stuff going on right now with the Sabres and the Bills. Like This is the most interesting time for maybe both teams in a, in a while, especially the Bills. They're having their best season in two decades. They are on the verge, if they win on Sunday night, they will clinch a playoff spot with two games to go. Conversations I've never even entertained as a Bills fan will be discussed. 
Like, hey, should they bench their starters against the Jets? Should they rest their guys? Should they go with Matt Barkley at home against the Jets? Stuff like that. Who should we be rooting for? Who should we, who should we want to play in the playoffs? Should we want to play Kansas City? Should we want to play Houston? Should we want to play New England on the road in the first round? Those types of conversations. Even the Week 17, going back to who should they play their starters, should we go all in on that win because we think we can still win the division, but you got to win and you need Miami to beat the Patriots, I think, in Foxborough. So how likely is that to happen? But then if that does happen and you lose to the Jets because you didn't try to beat the Jets or at least you didn't want to play Josh Allen, you didn't want to play your studs, that's going to be a bad look. All those types of factors, all those types of conversations are, are stuff that's right around the corner, right? And then you've got this game on Sunday. You've got the Bills being on Sunday night football for the first time in 12 years, over a decade, and they've been, since they have been in this game that happens every single week in the NFL. The Bills have never been in it, going back to 2007 when Randy Moss was playing for the, uh, for the Patriots and J.P. Lossman was your quarterback. That's how long ago it was. Then, you've got the Sabres going right now, and it's, they're kind of a weird uh, situation in that it feels like the feeling around the team is not all that positive. It's, go, it's going better, you know? I think we're all feeling a little bit better, at least, about the status of the team and where they sit currently. But, I don't think the feeling surrounding the Sabres amongst fans really matches what they are in the standings. They are second place in the Atlantic Division right now. They are second place. That's pretty good. Would you have signed up for that going into the year if I told you on December 11th they'd be second in the division behind Boston? Because everyone would have signed up for that. But it doesn't really feel like they're second place in the division. Part of that is you've got sleeping giants like Tampa Bay and Toronto who haven't really figured things out yet and probably will. And it's going to be tough to, to stay ahead of teams like that. So I think we're still trying to figure out if all of this is believable with the Sabres. But that, even that's interesting. If they can keep this pace up and what they are. And then here's this all decade idea. Like I want to do it. But I feel like there's a lot to talk about. But again, you know, you got a window here. You got to do it. So I feel like today's a pretty good day for that. We'll talk plenty about Bills and Steelers. I've got a lot of thoughts on the Sabres right now that we'll get into. I'm trying to resist going into a full-on hour-long rant on Zach Bogosian still playing on this team, but he's driving me insane. He's driving me bonkers right now, off the walls. Every time I'm watching this guy, he's making... Again, I'm going to hit pause on that. Maybe we'll get back to that. Maybe I'll save it for, for 8.54 when I don't have enough time to, uh, to, to waste the whole show on that. This all-decade idea, though, I put it out on Twitter. I want to see what fans think. I want to see what you guys think. And I'm getting a lot of differing opinions on who deserves to be on this team. I'm still putting my team together, figuring out who deserves to be on it. And the first thing I really noticed with the Sabres, and this really highlights how bad a decade it really has been for the Sabres. It's been brutal. They made the playoffs. I guess you could say they made it twice. They made it in 2010, winning the division. So it started off as a great decade. You win the division. You lose to Boston in the first round. All right. But you won the division. Miller with the Vesna, Olympic hero. Then 2011, you make this amazing run to make the playoffs. You get in. A great moment that I will always remember when 
Tyler Myers is skating around back in his own end with the puck, and Danny Briere is not forechecking, and the whole building is going crazy because they're watching the seconds tick off the clock to where they're going to make the playoffs, going from one of the worst teams in the league in the first couple months of the season to making the postseason. Great decade start, right? Since then, it's been pretty miserable. It's been truly awful. And that was really, that really came to fruition when I saw some of the names I was starting to think about. Like, who am I putting on this all-decade team? Like, am I putting Steve Ott on an all-decade team for the Sabres? Am I putting Marcus Foligno on this team? Am I putting Jordan Leopold, like Ristolainen? I don't want to put Ristolainen on there, but how can you not put Ristolainen on there? He's been here for pretty much the entire decade, and he's put up how many 40-point seasons as a defenseman? You can't not put Rasmus Ristolainen on there. Robin Leonard? Like, what, who am I putting on this team? So I reached, I, I put it out there to you guys, see what you guys think. Who do you think deserves to be on this team? Getting a lot of Tim Connolly responses. I'm not really sure he played enough in this decade. But, and keep keep those ideas flowing, because I am looking to see, I want to make this thing right. I want to I have a good, as good a team as you could possibly have. And the, the framework by which I'm doing it is not necessarily, you know, you might think all decade team and hey, Johan Larson should be on there because he played for seven years of the decade with you, right? No, I, I'm trying to put together the best team I can of Sabre players that played at least for, at least a season for you in this decade. So, you know, Rasmus Dahlin will probably make my team, even though he's only played, what, 100 games? He's just over 100 games of his NHL career. There's not a lot of longevity there, but even as an 18 and a 19-year-old and struggling as a 19-year-old, he's been one of your six best defensemen in the last 10 years. If I'm trying to make the best team possible among those players, he's on it. So let me know what you keep thinking. Uh, and you can get on the phone lines if you want on that 2-803-0550. But I want to use that as the, the jumping off point to kind of looking back on this last 10 years and just how... Like, how is it going to get better? How can it get better? What is there really a light at the end of the tunnel? Because that is kind of what has kept, I think, me going with this team and not really just losing all confidence. I think I got there uh, last year towards the end, the year before that towards the end. Like, the last couple of seasons, once you get towards the end of the year and you're just out of it, and that even includes a year last year where you had that amazing start. Once you get out of it, it almost feels like there's nowhere to go. Maybe there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And right now, with their results as of late, you're feeling probably pretty good about them. I'm feeling pretty good about them. Like they're playing, they're playing all right. They are playing better than they did last year. This is not this does does not appear to be as fluky as what last year's Sabres team was. They were winning a lot of one-goal games. They were winning a lot of games in overtime. They were getting outplayed in a lot of their wins leading up to when they got to first place. This year, they're not dominating people. They're not one of the best teams in the league. But when they win, and even some of these games that they're losing, they look good in these games. They control the play. They are getting the majority of the high-danger scoring chances. If you don't follow Chad Diedemenesis on Twitter, you should because there's a couple of good numbers that he puts out there every night. One of them that I always look at with this team and did last year too was their high-danger scoring chances compared to their opponent. And this year, that looks a lot better. I think that they are playing better. I think that now that Linus Allmark has really took the bull by the horns and he's become this team's starting goaltender, 
he's really improved your play in that position. Because if Carter Hutton had to have kept playing these past couple of weeks, the Sabres would not be sitting in second place in the division. Not at all. And there's a couple of factors that you need to consistently be the team that you want to be, which is at least to get into the playoffs right now. Like That's where the bar should be set. Can we at least get into the playoffs? And there's a couple ways you can do that. One is you're just a legitimately good team. You control, te- you control games uh, more than you don't. You... Have good offensive talent. You have deep. You have. You can go deep in your lineup with offensive talent. You have a good puck moving, fast, great passing blue line, and or you can get a goaltender who is capable of making up for all of those things not going so well. If you have an off night, you have a goaltender that is capable of just putting the rest of the team on his back and saying, right, "You guys are off tonight. I got this. Don't worry. I got this." And Hutton is just never that. You know, he's a great backup. And if you need him to start for a little bit, he might not kill you. But we know what Carter Hutton is. He's entered his 30s. He's not a number one goaltender in the league. Now, good on the Sabres for not deciding last offseason they needed to go out and find a legitimate number one goaltender and pay big money for it because you had Allmark coming up in the system you drafted Lucan in you should not have thought that that was necessary I'm looking at the Florida Panthers right now and if you haven't watched a lot of the Florida Panthers other than their couple games against the Sabres the story about them right now is their team is awesome they fly up and down the ice they outscore you they outchance you but What's funny is the one thing that I thought was going to make them really good this season, which was having an elite goaltender back in your net, has killed them. Because Sergei Bobrovsky, I think among starting goalies in the league, this was true a couple days ago, I would have to double check to make sure it's still true, but as of a couple days ago, he was second last in the league among starting goaltenders in save percentage. They gave that guy a $10 million a year contract for eight years. Despite the fact... Or I guess they signed Bobrovsky first, but despite the fact that they have a first-round goaltender in the system, they just drafted Spencer Knight. The Sabres could have done something like that, and their cap would have been just in a way worse shape because of it. But that's why I don't mind the Hutton contract. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't have turned the net over to Olmark at some point. I wish they would have done it sooner. I'm glad that they got to that point. And Olmark being in there... And playing like he's playing, to me, that is more sustainable. Because this is a guy that has not had the opportunity to be a starting goaltender for the Sabres. And you don't know if success in minor leagues is ever going to translate to success in the in the NHL. But this guy, everywhere he's gone and been a starter, he's been great. You know, in Sweden, he's a starting goaltender. I think he was the youngest goalie of the year in the Swedish Hockey League. Then he comes over to Rochester, he comes over to North America, and he's the starting goaltender in Rochester. And he's an AHL All-Star, and he helps lead the Amherst to the playoffs. And even, honestly, as a rookie, when Robin Leonard went out with injury right when Leonard got here, Ulmer came in as a very raw goaltender, and he looked good sharing the net as a, as a kind of a, in a 1A, 1B situation with, uh, with Chad Johnson. And now he's finally getting that crack at being the number one goaltender for the Sabres. And man, is he earning it. Man, is he, it's paying off. And to me, that doesn't have to regress. It doesn't have to. Like when Hutton was playing really well last year, for the most part during those first couple months, 
There was always that thing in the back of my mind that said, this guy has not done this over the course of an entire season except for one time with the Blues, who limit scoring chances like as good as any team in the league. So can he keep that up? Majority of the time, the answer is no. Allmark, we don't know what the majority of the time is going to say. We don't know that his numbers are going to regress being a starting goaltender night in and night out. He's played, what, nine of the last 12 now? Keep that going because that is one pathway to getting into the playoffs. That is one pathway to being the different team, being a different team than you've been the past couple seasons, really without making a major move. Like, goaltending can do that for you. And the past couple of games, last night against St. Louis, Sabres went 5-2. to two. On the surface, if you didn't watch the game, you just looked at the box score, you saw 5-2, to two, you might have thought the Sabres dominated the Blues. And even though I still believe the Sabres outplayed St. Louis, they did outshoot them. Felt like they had the puck more for a lot of the game, other than there was a stretch there in the second period where it very well could have been all St. Louis. So they, they got a little lucky, you know. The Blues hit a couple of posts. Braden Shen hit a post. Um, one of his teammates did right before that. Allmark had to make some big saves in the second period. There is the Sabres of last year and the Sabres of this year. And when I keep comparing them, I, I am more impressed with this team right now. I really am. And last night was almost kind of a microcosm of that. Because... They showed that for long stretches of time, they can outplay the defending Stanley Cup champs, the first place team in the Western Conference, the St. Louis Blues. They showed that capability. They also showed the capability of having a goalie when things aren't going well for the rest of your team that can bail them out. Because that's what last night's second period was. Sabres did not play well at all, and Ulmark kept them in it. Not only kept them in it, he kept the game tied. There's a couple of reasons. I just think this, this thing's more sustainable right now. And is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Because, again, I look back in these last 10 years, and this all-decade team that I'm putting together, it sucks. Jake McCabe's probably going to get on it. Robin Regeer might. Patrick Coletta might. I, I, I don't know at this point. I'm running out of centermen. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel that's going to make that eventually the Sabres will be so much better, at least significantly better than what these last eight years have really presented for them. Because they are now in the midst of a playoff drought. Eight years qualifies as a playoff drought. You're the longest drought in the, in the sport. And I'm starting to see it. There's a lot of things that could be you know, refreshing coming up too. Like you got this uh, the switch to Royal Blue next year. I can't wait for that. You've got some prospects coming along the way. I- I'm excited to see if Ukapeka Lukanen can get here in a couple of years. Not only just because his name is fun to say, but because this guy might be one of the top goalie prospects in the world. I'm almost excited for the World Juniors to come up at the end of December. Because I, you know, I, I was at a, I was in a point probably four or five years ago when the Sabres were in like a, a deep in a rebuild where I was paying a lot of attention to who their prospects were and how they were performing at the World Juniors. And I got away from that because. Then we started to focus on the team, and you started to get down on the team, and it's like, I don't even care what the prospects are. Like I can't get, I can't get up for the actual team. How am I going to do it for who's playing in the WHL? But they've got some good guys coming along the way. Like I'm kind of pumped to see Dylan Cousins play first-line center for Team Canada at the World Juniors, which he's been practicing uh, in their preliminary uh, camp. 
There's some stuff to look forward to. And I think the season Eichel is having right now is the biggest reason that I still believe there is light at the end to where this team can not only just be, you know, fluky and cannot just be make make a playoff push this year and then maybe regress back to the mean in the next couple of years. Like I think that they could consistently be a good team year to year to year. And the biggest reason right now, other than the things I just talked about, would be what Eichel is doing. Eichel for for years now, probably two, three years, I have been wondering out loud if Eichel can have that McKinnon jump. That's what I've been calling it, like the McKinnon jump. Nathan McKinnon coming into the league, other than Connor McDavid, I thought there was nobody coming into the NHL I thought would be better than Nathan McKinnon except for Connor McDavid. That guy is dynamite. He's got all the talent in the world. And you know what? His first couple years, he was all right. He wasn't that great. You know, he was a 50 to 60 point guy. And that is, you know, that's not a number one overall pick. You want more than that. Then he turns 22. His fifth season in the league. His fifth season in the league. He goes from 53 points. He had 16 goals and 37 assists in 2016-2017. The next year, 39 goals, 58 assists. 97 points, second in the Hart Trophy voting. That is a rocket of a jump. He turns into, he goes from, you know, pretty good top six forward to this guy's one of the best players in the sport. And Eichel is having that season. And there is reason to believe that he could regress a little bit. The scoring is probably coming down a little bit. That 17% shot rate, there are very, very few players in the league other than maybe like Ovechkin and Line and even those guys. There's so much volume with their shots that generally they're not even sustaining that high of a shot rate. So Eichel, he's going to see some regression, I think, with the goals. But the possession, the playmaking ability, the, the shot, the release in general, it doesn't have to regress too much. McKinnon goes from about a career 8% shooter. So 8% of his shots would find the back of the net for his first four years. Since then, it's about 13%. It's a big, big, big difference. And Eichel's gone from about 10% to this year he's at 17%. So, you know, if he ends up at 14 15%, maybe 13 Like we're still talking about a guy who's going to get into the 40s when it comes to goal scoring. And the way he makes plays and the way he piles up assists, this guy's going to get north of 90 points to me almost easily. I think he's having that monster year. He's having that big jump. It would not surprise me at all if he hits triple digits. It would not surprise me at all if he's in the heart conversation. I think he should be in the heart conversation. There's a precedent for what he's doing right now, winning the heart trophy. It happened two years ago. Taylor Hall won the heart trophy for the Devils because of three factors. He had a career year. I think he came just under 100 points, 97. That number is sticking out of my mind for some reason. But he came just under 100 points. His team was a surprise team to make the playoffs. And there was a monster gap between Taylor Hall and who finished second on that team in points. He was 
far and away the best player on that team. I don't have the exact numbers offhand right now, but the numbers I'm remembering in my head, I think Nico Heischer had like 50 points, and he was second. He had almost doubled second place on his team in scoring. And the way it's going with the Sabres right now, I think Victor Olofsson, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy who is playing really well. I'm not, this isn't meant to be a criticism of Victor Olofsson at all, but he is second on this team in points right now with 28. Eichel's got 44. Eichel's got 44. He's having a crazy year. And I don't see a reason why we have to assume that's going to come back down to earth. I think he is exploding into the category of one of the best players in hockey. Name me a player that is harder to take off the puck. His combination of speed, being strong on his skates, and being strong on his stick is almost impossible to defend. I think he's the best three-on-three overtime player next to McDavid in the sport. This is the year we've been waiting for him to have, and him having this year is another another reason for for you to think that what they're doing right now is sustainable. Not just this season, but going forward. Because that's kind of what McKinnon has been. I love that comparison a lot. Because I think they are two players that are both uber-talented, have the speed, have the shot, have the hands, have the playmaking. They've got everything. There's no reason not to compare the two. And not only did McKinnon have that big year where he went from a 50-point player to a 100-point player, he's been that player ever since. He got the 97 points in 2018, then he got 99 points last season. This year he's at 47 points in 30 games. And if this is Jack Eichel going forward, this is another level of Jack Eichel. We didn't even see this last year. We didn't even see this the year before. And he's been great. But this is a whole other animal, this player that we're seeing right now. And if that keeps up, that is enough with some solid goaltending to make the playoffs, even if you have all of these other flaws on your team. So I'm actually I'm I'm getting into the Sabers a little bit, thinking about them being a legitimate playoff team. Like I am, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And you know, it'd be nice to freshen things up with some new jerseys. It would make them seem a little less stale on the ice because that's the word that I keep referring to them as this season. Because I think it's right to the Sabers have been stale. Their roster is stale, but you know, doesn't mean they can't make it work because right now they are making it work. Somehow, Johan Larson's on points, pays for 30 points. So, it's working. And again, I won't get into Zach Bogosian right here, because I could go for a half hour on that. Anyways, 803-0550 is the phone number right now. Are, am I right to be this high on what's happening right now with this team? To maybe where another couple good weeks and we, expectations might even grow into, hey, like this team needs to make the playoffs. How close are we to that? 803-0550 is the phone number. If you want to get on who should be on their all-decade team as well, let me know what you think because I'm, I'm struggling with it. There, there's not a lot of great players from the last 10 years on this team. Um, so let me know what you think on that, and then uh, we'll get full into Bills and Steelers uh, a little bit later in the show. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR.
it feels a little bit like rinse and repeat, but it also feels like there's less urgency from Buffalo's perspective. Bottrell is, is most definitely making his calls and continuing to have conversations with other general managers, but there's still a number of teams who are interested in continuing to have trade conversations. I look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and you know there's a good relationship there between Botterill and Jimmy Rutherford for obvious reasons, but because of injury, the Pittsburgh Penguins aren't necessarily in a good spot to make a deal. It's not saying that Rutherford can't or won't, but that also applies to a lot of teams around the NHL. That is TSN's Darren Dreger today on the Instigators. I mean, I really hate the sound of that. That that phrase, their success as of late, their better play, lessening the urgency for Jason Bottrell here in the trade market, that is a big mistake. That is actually exactly what happened last season. Exactly what happened last season. They needed to make a move. They really did. They had no secondary scoring. And guess who didn't make a move? The Sabres didn't. And why would you say they maybe didn't make a move? Because Jason Bottrell and maybe Phil Housley and whoever is in that room talking about what they should do could have very easily looked at the standings, said, hey, we're first place. We don't need to make anything. We're doing all right. Let's just keep going. Let's not change it up. Let's not, you know, let's not mess up a good thing. When in reality, they needed to make an addition, and they never did it. They never did it. And to me, their start last year maybe cost them that. Maybe the start of to the year was so good that it just blinded the GM from doing what he, what he should have done. And this year, if that's the same logic that's being applied, that if he's waking up and, and look to opening up the NHL standings page and saying, yeah, yeah we're second place, all right, we're, it's, it's all right. You know what, I'm going to put off this other thing I was talking to Pittsburgh about. I'm going to put it off for a little bit because we're doing all right. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You still got holes in your team. Just because you're playing well doesn't mean you can, can't make the team better. Can't, doesn't mean there isn't things to fix. There is things to fix. If Marcus Johansson exits this lineup, which he has already, and this guy's got a, a history of injuries in the league, you have no scoring down the middle. Because here's Casey Middlestat, again, not giving you anything. Probably should be in Rochester right now. You can't afford for him to be in Rochester because you have no scoring down the middle. You had to sign a winger who used to play center, and you had to put him back down the middle. And it's worked, and I'm glad it's worked. But thank God Marcus Johansson signed here because what would they be at center otherwise? That is something to fix. He mentions Pittsburgh there, Dreger does. I really want them to get Alex Galchenyuk. It is a low-risk pos- or a proposition. He has one year left in his contract, $4.9 million bucks. It's not a huge contract. If it doesn't work, you know, he's bet this would have been if he gets traded, it'll be his fourth team in a year and a half, two years. He went from Montreal to Arizona last offseason. Then this past offseason, he went from Arizona to Pittsburgh, and they're already talking about trading him. So maybe something's up there. Maybe he's a locker room problem. I don't know. But to me, if it doesn't go well, he's a rental. You don't have to sign him long term. And if you want, you could probably get rid of him for nothing because he's probably not going to cost you anything. One year left, rental, not playing well. Why would he garner anything significant? You can get him maybe for Scandella. Who knows? And what 
the upside presents in that type of move, it doesn't have to be Galchenyuk, but something like that, is completing your top six. Because they don't have that right now. They don't have a complete top six. They have five. They have five. Eichel's a legit top six player, obviously. Olofsson's playing like one, obviously. Reinhardt, Skinner, Johansson is one. And they don't really have a sixth. That's been, you know, guys that have been in and out. Sabatka is absolutely not a top six player, and he was playing top six a lot of this year. Middlestat has gotten his turn. He hasn't really been that. Connor Sherry, you know, he doesn't kill you in that spot, but I think you want to do a lot better than that. Jimmy Vesey's play hasn't warranted being that, so you don't really have another option. That needs to be addressed. The surplus of defensemen is overkill. They don't need all these defensemen. And I won't get too far into the Bogosian rant that I probably am just waiting to explode with any second here. But you're at a position now where I truly believe, like that lineup last night the Sabres had, those six defensemen, there are three, maybe four, no, you know what, four, maybe five defensemen in the Sabres organization that didn't play last night that I truly believe are better defensemen than Zach Bogosian right now. Dalene, obviously, when he re-enters the lineup, and that might even be as soon as tomorrow, and maybe Bogosian doesn't play tomorrow. It might be trending that way, actually, because he skated on what appeared to be an extra pairing with Scandella. I think Scandella's a better defenseman right now than Bogosian. He has certainly played that well that way this season. I think Lawrence Pilot is. I also think Casey Nelson is. And maybe even Will Borgen. He might be. It's hard to tell. You won't find out because they have so many defensemen that that guy's nowhere near entering the lineup and finding out what he might be right now. You just have too many. You don't need all these guys. Take that surplus. Take something from it. It could be Ristolainen. It could be if anybody wants Bogosian. It could be Scandella. Take something there and take that value and move it to your forward group because you still need to add. And just because you're winning as of late should not be an excuse for not making a move. Because there still needs to be one made. And they didn't make one last year. Look where it got them. 803-0550 is the phone number. I've got a, it's a big 180 I just did there. First segment I felt like I was glowing and I was positive. And hey, light at the end of the tunnel. And Eichel's going to be a heart candidate. And Allmark might be a number one goaltender. And then I quickly got to they still need to make moves. And the GM can't be asleep at the wheel. You know, there's a lot going on right now with this team. They're, they're, they're tugging everybody in each direction, I think. That's where I'm at. 803-0550 is the phone number. We've also got this uh, all-decade idea that I got hanging around here. A lot of Tim Connolly versus Derek Roy debate on Twitter. Which, I, honestly, I don't think I'm putting either one on the list. They didn't really... They, they, they played a year. Connolly played two years in the decade for them. Roy played two. So, maybe they qualify. But I'm not in. A, I'm not in a hurry to put either one of them on this uh, on this team. To be honest, let's start off with Jonathan. Jonathan Nolan, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Hey, Joe. Um, first of all, for your All Decades team, I want to add Tyler Ennis to it because he scored okay. our last playoff overtime goal <laughs> and yes. our lead scorer for the tank years. As far as this being the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm getting there, but the, I'm hesitant to say it because. The penalty kill does need to get better, and I am still a little worried about Tampa Bay and Toronto. So I really like what I've seen from Eichel. I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll that they'll start to turn the corner. But as you said, Jason Bottle needs to be asleep at the wheel. 
I, I, it's kind of died down the last month because, like, when, when last month we were collapsing, it was like, come on, bottle, do something. And then all of a sudden we're hot again. So I'm yeah. following patience pays off. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Jonathan. And I don't want to also make it sound like they're, like, on this torrid streak right now. Like, they're not on some giant win streak. They've, they won two games in a row here, and they were playing, you know, slightly above 500 hockey for about a week or two before that. So they're playing well. They're playing well. They haven't been amazing and not nearly good enough. I don't know if they could be playing good enough right now. I guess they could, but not nearly good enough to them to, to warrant them not thinking they, that they're all set because they're not. I think they're good. I think they're better than last season. All set is, is further down the road, I think. And you might get there, but you're not there yet. Let's go to Anthony. Anthony, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, I, I think your two emotions at the start of the segment and right now are just how half of our fan base is. <laughs> right. Or the other, you know? Yeah. Um, how, do you know how many of our forwards are not under contract past this year on our 13 that are active right now? How many of our forwards are not under contract past this year? It's almost, I think the only ones that are, are Eichel, is it Eichel, Ocposo, and Skinner? Is there another one I'm missing? Uh, you're missing uh, Johansson, too. Okay, but that's it. I mean, otherwise, yeah, you're right. Like They could remake everything. I just don't think Botterill sitting there just because we're playing, playing a little bit better and all of a sudden rubbing his hands together saying, oh, man, we, we finally got it together. There's no way. I mean, he even said it, what, two weeks ago? That, yeah, we're looking to try to add both. Sure. No, that's right. He did. The bottom six. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, I, and I guess it's me hoping, too, that he just doesn't look at the standing and say, oh, my God, we're going to be fine. This is going to work out with the guys we have. We don't have the forward depth crying to come up in Rochester. That is the reason Middlestead still is up here. And listen, I like Bogo. I thought he had such, so much more of a physical presence in the past that he just doesn't have anymore. Yes, he can put a body in the board when he finally gets there. But guess what? He's skating in La La Land half the time anyway. <laughs> and I, and I love, you know what? I, I loved his play. I loved what he's been as a leader for our team. But we're not sitting in the bottom five teams anymore. We need progressiveness. And I yeah. think that you have Pittsburgh sitting there with, with this guy that they openly want to trade. They need D-men. Their guys are freaking 19 years old and half of them are civs. I mean, I'm just saying, give them Bogosian and give them either A, prospect in Rochester that isn't going to kill our cap, or B, give them a pick. I mean, what, what's, what's a second-round pick really materialized to these days anymore? And we're talking about Alex Galenchuk, someone who has 17 points, I think. Not even. How many points does he even have? He's, he's got 10 in 20 games right now. 10 and 20 games, or which, you know, I mean, if that, that isn't a bad case if you play a full season. And that's and that's like a bad season for him. I think his career low, uh, not counting his rookie year, I think is 41, which is last season. Roll the dice on him. I mean, half of our half yeah. of our guys that are in the bottom six, we brought back on one-year contracts. Yeah. Hey, hey Anthony, thanks for the call. Well, well said. Um, i got to get to some more calls here, though. But I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you for the most part. I... I I do think Bogosian has a place on this team as a leader. I do think he's very respected in that room. But I think, what does that amount to? I think that amounts to you being maybe Josh George's 2.0. Right? Good veteran presence, leader. He knows how to win. He's been on good teams before. Although I guess Bogosian hasn't been on good teams before. He's never made the playoffs. But what does it matter if you can't do anything on the ice? You know, you don't play smart in your own end. You don't provide offense. You're not a consistent passer. And you're, you, it's just like, what are you giving me? At the end of the day, what are you giving me? And right now, it's nothing. 
It's absolutely nothing on the ice. Nothing good. Why is he skating behind the net last night in that Blues goal? There's That play, I, I can't get into it. It'll drive me crazy, and I'll spend the whole show on it. Thanks for the call, though, Anthony. Let's go to... And, and you know what? The other thing I did want to say on that before I do take a timeout and get some more calls, I don't want to just assume also that Botrell does think along the same way that Dreger just said that he might. That... There isn't as much urgency because of how they're playing. If there do, if there isn't as much urgency, there still could be some urgency. It just might not be, you know, desperation. And that's fair. And he's going to be on the station tomorrow at 5.30, and we'll hear more from him. And he has been open this season about wanting to acquire a forward. So I do believe he, I believe to some extent, he knows there is a move that needs to be made. But again, I can't just assume it's going to happen and he's going to do it. Because they needed it last year and it didn't happen. So again, I'm kind of in your in your boat. I'm hoping that um, that he means what he says, that he knows he needs to go out and get a forward. 803-0550 is the phone number. Ken, PJ, uh, all you guys on hold, stick, stick there. We'll get to you right after the break uh, as we keep rolling along with the Sabres here. We'll get into some Bill Steelers talk in the second hour. I got an idea for a Bills all-decade team too. But that's 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 a, a longer project. You got more players on that team, so... That might be uh, a future show. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. You didn't see that uh, if you didn't see this, but Kawhi Leonard back in Toronto tonight for the first time. And if you thought he was getting booed, there were some people on Twitter that thought he was getting booed. Like, are you crazy? He left, but he won a championship. They're going to build statues of this guy. They might retire his number. He got a standing ovation in his return to Toronto. Um, they did a really cool thing where they played his uh, iconic buzzer beater against the 76ers, like on the floor. Uh, they like projected it on the floor, and the whole place went nuts. So really cool moment there uh, as Toronto welcomes back Kawhi Leonard after winning the NBA championship last year. We're talking some Sabres here, um, you know, in a pretty, yeah, you know, slightly positive, some negative um, moves that the moves need to be made. But you know, it's going well. It's going well so far. That's kind of where I'm at. It's going well, but you still need to do some stuff. So go do it. Anyways, 803-0550 is the phone number. If you've been waiting on hold, we'll get to you here. Let's go to Ken. Ken, you're on the nightcap. What's up, man? Hi, how you doing? Good. 
I just want to tell you, I think we're one player away from making the playoffs. I don't think we're going to make it if we stay where we are right now. And the player we need is in Minnesota, Zach Parisi. Parisi is playing. Mm. And right now we only have two lines that are scoring, our first line and our fourth line. We're not getting nothing from the other two. But if you get Parisi and put him on one of those lines, I think the Sabres will get in. Um, I agree and I disagree with you, Kent. Thank, thanks for the call, man. Um, I do agree that if they make the playoffs, or that they, they to make the playoffs, they need to acquire another guy. They need a, another legitimate top six player, I think. No way in hell do I want them to acquire Zach Parise. It has nothing to do with what he has as a player. He's a good player. He's having a good year, even. He's, he's kind of bounced back, you know, after, um, was he, not a down year last year, but a Two years ago, uh, he had kind of a down year. Not, not even last, not even two years ago. He was injured a couple years ago. That's what it was. This year, he's got 12 goals in 31 games. Last year, he had 28 goals. The year before that, was looking at the injury-riddled season. He had 15 goals. We only played 42 games. My problem is he is 35 years old. He has a no-movement clause, first of all, so he'd have to agree to be traded. And you think Kyle Poso's contract is bad? He's 35. He has six years left at $7.5 million. No, thank you. No way. No, 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 no. Awful, awful idea. Sorry. Sorry, man. Like, you're on the right track, and what you're looking for as a player, that is not the guy. How about Jason Zucker? Can I interest you in a Jason Zucker, perhaps? Five and a half million bucks for four years, and he's only 27. How about that? I'm in for that. It's a better idea. But I get where you're going. Like, that, that type of player. I see what you mean. Just not Parise. Contract's the worst. Let's go to PJ. PJ, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, man. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Definitely no no go on the uh, Parise <laughs> and I yes. Yeah, he's not going to trade anyway. It's Zucker. Okay. I, Zucker's been available for a while now. I don't know why that has not happened. Maybe he just doesn't want to be here. I don't know. Who knows? But Bogo, uh, Bogosian, I'm just thinking that he's in the lineup just because, you know, he had that surgery. Maybe he, you know, other teams are like, hey, how, you know, How's this guy going to look? Is he okay even? So maybe he is just not up to speed yet. I agree. Like I, I think he's a pretty halfway semi-decent player, right? I mean, back in the day, I guess he was – I don't even know when he was drafted. but uh, Yeah, man, like I, I've never been a fan of the player. I, I think that he's had his fans, and I think that those fans don't really understand what makes a good defenseman in today's NHL. I think the GM that gave him that contract – was stuck in the 80s, stuck in the 90s. I just don't think that type of defenseman, that hard-nosed, gritty defenseman, is what is what's helping you out anymore. And another thing about those types of defensemen is they do generally hit the wall a lot sooner. And he's 29 years old. I I, I see what you kind of mean, and that like, hey, maybe they're showcasing him a little bit to other teams, showing that they're that he's healthy. But I just could not believe that that's ever going to increase his value. At worst. He's going to show up and he's going to look he's going to look unhealthy, he's going to look terrible. Or he's going to look healthy and he's going to look bad there too because he's been bad when he's been healthy for the Sabres. So I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking is with him in the lineup. I hope that that's going to change. It looks like it's going to change tomorrow night. I would hope that he's out of the rotation altogether. I'm not sure if that will happen. Um but the one thing that Ralph Kruger has impressed me with and that I hope continues is he's not afraid to sit veteran players. And to me, that's good. You should not be afraid 
to sit a guy because he's respected in the room or because he's a leader. If he's not one of your best players on the ice, get him out. If he's not one of your best six, he doesn't deserve to play. That's the end of the story. End of story. And right now, you know, like the, the reason I've been impressed with Kruger is like it's other coaches would have benched Henry Yoki Haru or sent him down. Absolutely. That's the easy thing to do because in that situation you can hide behind, you know, development and him being a rookie and Kruger's not done that. In fact, Yoki Haru has seen his minutes go up. He was almost at 19 minutes last night. I think that's his highest total for the season, so um yeah, Bogosian's probably not going to play against Nashville tomorrow night, and I hope that he doesn't play again for the Sabres, honestly. I know what he is. I don't want him on this team anymore. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase. We'll switch into the Bills a little bit, but we'll get some more Sabre calls in after the break here on WGR. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. You can't really take him a day south as a person. You can't go out there and be a moron it doesn't work like that. The Nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Hour number two here on WGR. 803-0550 is the phone number. Lots of savers in the first hour. Lots of bills coming your way in the second hour. Bills and Steelers on Sunday night. Football, 820. I think it's 820. Um, I will be along with you for pregame before the game, and then we'll have the normal post-game show with Shope and the Bulldog, and then myself and Nate Geary will be going 1 to 3 a.m. Hey, maybe if you're on your way to the airport to greet the Bills after a win when they clinch the playoffs, maybe. You know, could happen. In fact, could happen. They win, they clinch the playoffs, so. A lot of playoff scenarios to go through over the next coming days. Let's wrap up, though, with our uh, with our Sabres conversation um, from the first hour. And uh, we might as well do that with our interview of the day today, which is Ralph Kruger, Sabres head coach, who I love listening to. He kind of reminds me, in a way, of Tim Murray, not necessarily how they talk or even what they say, but that same feeling of, like, I, I love listening to these guys. Like, when they're on, I- I'm going. And that's not normal with most coaches like Dan Bilesman. Like, I never needed to hear Dan Bilesman talk. I never needed to hear Phil Housley talk. I never said anything interesting. And here's, you know, Ralph Kruger coming along, sounding smart, and uh, giving you what he thinks. And here he is with Jeremy, uh, and or here on the morning show, uh, right here on WGR. Ralph, good morning. It's Jeremy and uh, Sal Capaccio in for Howard. How are you this morning? Good morning. Good morning. I'm very good. And, uh, I like snow, so it's a beautiful day in Buffalo. You have anywhere to go today? I mean, hopefully you're not driving too far. It can uh, it can get rough out there. No, no, I live I live in the core of the city, so I have a similar drive, no matter rain or shine, snow or sleet. So it's it's fine. I uh, uh, my movements are easy. We're here at the rink early this morning. The coaches and we're back at it. So what's on the what's on the docket on on things you have to work on? I mean, last night's game was uh, I think a fairly strong performance from your group. Fairly happy overall. Yeah, I mean we're we're keeping on the plan, which is to look for growth again today. Keep our picture small, get ready for Nashville. But more than anything, we we need to take with what we did yesterday and how we closed out that game after the three-two goal. We had our best 15 minutes of hockey this season, finishing a game and uh, controlling the scoreboard and understanding what it takes. To, uh, to bring those kind of games home against a very heavy, hard-playing St. Louis. So I was 
proud of our finish and so that a lot more a lot more to confirm yesterday than to learn from so that's always nice do you have individual plays you know you're talking about the your best 15 minutes will will you take the video go over it with the players what kind of uh what kind of i guess drills and or video sessions or whatever you might do with the players will you use to highlight exactly what about those 15 minutes you like so much so what happens on a game day like to, uh, on a practice day like today is first of all we we need to know what's coming up which is again uh, we continue on a on a torrid pace here with two games in the next three days coming up so we we won't practice that long it'll be short and high quality low quantity and uh, and then off the ice we generally will take some clips from the game yesterday that we liked and also some that we didn't there's always things we can improve on and uh, work work again in a, in a compact form. The guys are still recovering a little bit from our Western Canada trip, so we, we take it easy on the information, but maybe a 10-minute meeting about, uh, about, the, you know, about, about the things we liked and about the things we can work on, and then we'll break off. And our, you know, my, my supporting coaches will do some individual work with players, and that's kind of how our day looks today. We just go right back at it and try to get better for the game against Nashville tomorrow. You managed to do something that that it seems like doesn't happen often, which is win the first game back from a Western trip. I mean, that's always supposed to be a kiss of death kind of game. It's always difficult for a team that comes back from the West to win their first home game. Did you do anything different uh, about preparation? Uh, we, we've talked load management before. Is there anything that you've found to be a bit of a trick in, in, in coming back from the Western Conference? Well, we almost did nothing, which was probably the trick. So we, 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 we didn't even see the players, or, or uh, we left them alone on the on the day we came back at five in the morning there on, on uh, Sunday night and uh, to Monday morning. And then yesterday we did about a twelve or thirteen minute skate in the morning to activate a little bit the hands and bodies. Uh, we kept it light as far as video and. And uh, and then brought them in, reeled them in in the evening. But it was it was actually leaving them alone, making sure they got a lot of sleep and recovery time, and uh, that seemed to work. So you you just need to feel what the group is capable of ta- taking on. And I think the momentum out of the Edmonton game, which was really um, a, a, an excellent performance, helped us a lot to to get back here in the East and to perform like we did last night. Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger on the Wester Hotline. Linus Allmark has been just tremendous for you guys of late, and last night was uh, was not out of the ordinary for him. No, Linus is really taking a step here this season. Uh, Mike Bales, our goalie coach, is doing an excellent job with him psychologically and physically. Uh, he, he worked hard this summer to to become more athletic and uh, you know we can see it in his game but more than anything it's his mind and how he's able to you know hold hold a more consistent uh, aggressive style right through the games and it's it's improving and he's you know he's all you know he's a big part of what's what's going on here since I would say about 11 games now we're about 11 games into a stretch where we've been pretty consistent with our game we had that lull of about 10 11 games after our hot start where we were wandering in and out of our game. But, you know, we're quite pleased with the consistency of performance here. We're still going to have our, our, our off moments, and we're still going to have times where, where we need to improve on. But more than anything, Linus is, is a, you know, is, is, is kind of developing, like the group in general, into a more consistent pattern, which we like and gives us a chance to win every night. You're probably going to need both goaltenders down the stretch if, if you're going to stay in a playoff race. Right now it's second in the division. Uh, is your goalie schedule or your 
your um, percentage of starts per guy? Do you have an idea going in, or is it very much fluid week to week? Is it kind of a feeling out process for you, being that it's your first year with both of these guys? Well, no, Hudson's had some tough breaks of late, and he's such a strong character, and he's an excellent leader in the room and a good voice, uh, even even as he's you know trying to get his confidence and momentum back. But we, we will definitely continue to go game by game, whether it's the forwards, whether it's the D, you can see we're making scratches once in a while where you can, you know, we're, we are truly trying to do what's best for the group for the next game and, uh, and not thinking much beyond that. So there's no, no real long-term plan here, guys. We're, we're just going to continue to try to put the group together that we think will give us the best chance to, to stay in the race. And that's what we need to, you know, do, need to do against Nashville again tomorrow. With regard to your, your defense when doing that, Ralph, you know, you, you're, you've got a rotation, uh, whether it's Colin Miller in the box one night or Marco Scandella in the box one night, is that when you're picking the six that are, that are going to play six or seven, in some cases that are going to dress, how, how do you, how do you go about that? Are you looking at numbers? Are you looking at, uh, pairings, whether or not a, a, a pair is meshing, if a pair is meshing, is a guy more likely to stay in and, and not, be bounced out by the rotation. I, I'm wondering exactly how you how you're arriving at each decision that these six are the best on a given night. Yeah, well, the the complication there has really been that the group has performed exactly as that as a group, and nobody has fallen off the map completely. It's been extremely difficult because we feel there's a lot of parity there on the D right now, and uh, and almost any combination will give us a chance, and we're trying to. Make sure we we you know we keep the spirits in the right place and uh, and the rotations have been taken well by the D. Whether we played seven, which is never a lot of fun for defensemen in the National Hockey League, or we sit somebody out, they're all in with the guys. They they work out that much harder in the practices if they don't have a game. And thus far, what we do is this morning we get up early, we come in. Our coaches' talk begins with the roster, begins with how we want to come together for Nashville, what group we're going to pick. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, there are, there is, there is some stomach behind all of that, some gut decisions that are made. But um, again, we're, we're happy with the group. We're happy with the internal competition. It pushes everybody to, 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 to look for their A game every day. And uh, like most things we're doing here, we, we we really make those decisions on the day. I know you're really big into communication and relationships, so how, how do you approach that with the guys? Because no one wants to sit, obviously. Um, how, how do you go about a daily you know uh, conversation with the guys and how all that's going to play out? Well, Donnie Granato with the forwards and Steve Smith with the D um, helped me in that process. So we are always communicating openly with the players uh, before we announce the roster and the lineup and we let the player know that he's out if he is and give him the opportunity to 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 discuss with us the situation possibly the whys what what could he work on you know if he has a practice or he's watching a game instead of playing it and i want to say that the assistant coaches play a huge role there because my day after practice i run into the media there's lots of other uh, group things that I, I take care of and individually I've got an unbelievable support here in my coaching staff and they communicate very openly and uh, we just lay all the cards on the table. We're very honest with the guys. We let them know the truth and uh, we can only hope that they take it the right way and they have so far and that they grow from that and they 
push themselves to be better and make it more difficult for us to take them out next time. Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger on the Wester Hotline. Ralph, how about for Casey Middlestad? Had a game up in the press box to kind of look things over. He's uh, he's he's kind of had his struggles this year. I mean, I think if you're you know you're talking about you being honest with the guys, what's your message to Casey and in, in his development at this point? Well, we have to understand when they, when players are twenty or under, how how much they are learning every single day, and how far away they still are from their potential and. Casey's potential is so exciting, and his skill and ability as it as it develops here is is a lot of fun to work with. And sometimes taking a breath and sitting out and watching from afar, and, and uh, having a lesser role can be what that player needs for for you know a few days, or could be a few games, or only one game. And it, it's all an attitude thing. How do you how do you take that as a player? Do you point fingers all over the place and blame other people or do you look inside and try to get better yourself and learn from it and Casey is looking at at what he needs to work on what he needs to get better on uh Donnie Granado is spending a lot of time with him as he grows here day to day he's come a long way since the beginning of training camp to understand what it takes to be a centerman in the National Hockey League he's spending some time on the wing here and there there's there's a lot coming at you here at a very quick speed and the the level of play in the National Hockey League is, is going up every week right now as everybody's finding their rhythm, finding their games. The challenge is harder and more difficult, and, and so it is for Casey. And I, I, I just love his attitude. I love his, his willingness to work and to understand what it's going to take. And, again, it's just part of the process here. We've got a good group of guys, and different people will be sitting out on different nights, and that's just a sign of an of a team evolving in the right direction. One, one last before we let you go. I, I think one good sign about you know players can grow and, and become an even better version of what they were is probably Jack Eichel, who continues to climb to new heights. This has uh, been a great year for him. He's got 20 goals already on pace for over 100 points, which would be a career high for him by quite a bit. Um, I would I would say Jack Eichel's a shining example of still getting more out of a player, even though he's been in the league a couple of years. Jack has 100% bought into everything we're doing here, and he's an example every shift. He works as hard as anybody. He plays as as strongly within within the framework that we want to play in here, and he's profiting from it as an individual player, which is interesting him much less than the team's success. So. Uh, off ice, on ice, just uh, an outstanding leader and uh, so excited that he's having personal success. But again, nobody's really speaking about that. He certainly isn't. And uh, it, it's all about the team here. It's all about us learning how to compete here and uh, to, to, to continue to stay in the mix, to stay in the race and uh, and to be in the right position in, in, in the new year. So that's that's the great thing about Jack, but you know it's 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 a lot of fun working with him. He's trying to get better still every day, which has got to excite us all. And uh, and you can see the minutes he's playing and the and the work ethic that he has. Um, it's it's definitely paying off for him. But nobody's giving him this. He's earning everything. He's he's working for everything. And his skill, along with that work ethic, is an exciting thing to be a part of. All right, Ralph. Well, best of luck tomorrow against Nashville. It's odd night. It's I, odd I, night. I know your, your playing career and your coaching career wouldn't have really taken you to the odd, but do you remember anything about the odd? <laughs> well, I'll tell you right now that uh, the I, I do not remember anything about the odd, but I can only tell you that uh, one of my 
One of my good friends from Europe, Uwe Krupp, is yes. here from the 80s. Yes. And he's hanging out with us here for a few days. He coaches over in Prague right now. And he's uh, been a coaching colleague in Euro- Europe for decades. And uh, uh, he's, one of the, he's one of the biggest fans Buffalo has, I have to tell you. He was one of my first calls when, nice. I, when I was offered the job here. And uh, it's good to have Uwe around and all the 80s guys at the game tomorrow. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. Tomorrow night, Nashville. Thanks very much for the time. Ralph, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, gentlemen, and uh, everybody listening. Make the best of the day and go and build a snowman. <laughs> I didn't know that line was coming to the end there. That's Ralph Kruger, Sabres head coach, on with uh, Jeremy and Sal this morning. Uh, if you didn't catch that whole thing, it's on demand at WGR550.com, as well as all our good stuff from today's uh, shows. Show up with the Bulldog, One Bills Live, The Instigators, Darren Dreger was on with the instigators today, as well as Howard and Jeremy. Um, we're going to go full speed into Bills and Steelers. I've got a thought on what could be coming for the Bills should they win on Sunday and how it pertains to uh, them in the playoffs. Also, Roger Goodell held a press conference today. He said some interesting things Um on the Patriots Spygate 2 scandal, the Colin Kaepernick workout, the playoff format in the NFL and the future there. A bunch of things I want to get into quickly on what Roger Goodell had to say today, especially on the Patriots, um, because I haven't really gotten into... Have I had a show since that came out? I don't think so. Um, But Spygate 2 is a thing. I think it is a thing. And I think it's going to grow and grow and grow a little bit here. Um, And I'll tell you why in a little bit here on the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Does some things well as far as uh, moving around the pocket, extending some plays. Um, he's converted some big time third down conversions for them, and, and putting them in some third down and uh, shorts as well on second and long. He's also not afraid to throw the ball up either, and so he's done a great job of giving his his uh, receivers the opportunity to catch the ball and really have, with those big plays has put his teams in, in a position to score points and, and ultimately win games. That is Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander. Could be a part of my all-decade Bills team that I'm going to come out with in a little bit. Not today. Maybe next week. Devlin Hodges, Duck Hodges. The Bills will see on Sunday. The undrafted rookie out of Sanford's been, you know, all right. For an undrafted rookie, he's been really good. Um, He's nothing special, doesn't look like. He's not really pushing the ball much down the field. He is just trying to basically do what Mike Tomlin said he benched Mason Rudolph for. He's not trying to do what Mike Tomlin benched Mason Rudolph for, which was getting them killed. He's very protective. He's very cautious. And, you know, Andrew Filipponi, uh, 93-7, the fan of Pittsburgh, was on a show up in the Bulldog earlier. And he said that he's on the Bills for this game, thinking that they're going to win, and I am there too. And the reason I'm there for that is, you know, the Steelers' defense is right up there at the top of the league along with the Bills. The Bills might be a little bit better statistically on the year, and they might actually be um, better, but Pittsburgh is a really good defense. I cannot see a scenario where a Devlin Hodges-led Steelers offense is putting up big numbers on the Bills, putting up a good offensive day against the Bills. I don't know how they're going to score points. I don't know how they're going to do it. I know James Conner's back. I know Juju Smith-Schuster's back, but neither one of them have had great seasons either. They've had good seasons, but not as good as last year. So what am I expecting out of them? Am I expecting 14 points? 
17? Are they going to get to 20? I cannot see them getting to 20 points. I don't think it's possible, to be honest, to be frank. And while I might not predict the Bills are going to be lighting the world on fire against Pittsburgh, I can see them doing it. It's not likely. But Josh Allen, capable. The Bills offense, you know, not consistent, but capable. And that's the difference. You, I could foresee a scenario where the Bills offense is able to get into the 20s uh, point-wise and maybe even approach 30. And I just don't know how Pittsburgh gets anywhere near that. This quarterback, I mean, they've shut down Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady. I'm supposed to be worried about Devlin Hodges? Really? I'm not. So I think I would take the Bills in this game. I know that the Steelers are favored, and it's going. It's not going to be an easy game. I think it'll be a close one, but I think the Bills' offense is better than Pittsburgh's offense, and that's not an advantage they have in every game, and I think they have it this week. Sunday Night Football is going to be really cool. I don't even really remember the last time the Bills were on Sunday Night Football. I know the game happened. I know that I was 12 years old for it. I'm sure I watched it. I have no recollection of the game. I know what happened in it because I've seen highlights and such, but I don't remember the game whatsoever. Game was it wasn't even about the Bills. It was about New England getting to a perfect record. And this game here is, you know, in part about the Bills. Their great season, they put themselves in this position. That's all I wanted, you know, at the beginning of the year. I just wanted them to be good enough to where they'd have enough respect from a TV network like NBC and the NFL that they would be a legitimate option to be flexed in to a Sunday night football game. And that's happened. That's cool. It's cool they're having this season. But as we go forward, now we're going to get into uncharted territory because now we're getting into primetime games. Now the Bills are going to be consistently the only game in their window. Thanksgiving, the Bills were the only show in town. You wanted to watch football on Thanksgiving at 4 o'clock? You were watching the Bills. The Ravens game. Wasn't the only game in the window, but it was the national game on CBS. So most of the country is watching you against the Ravens. This week, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, 8.30, you are the only game. You're in front of everybody. New England, next week, 4.30 on a Saturday. Everyone that's watching football at that time, they're watching you. Everybody's watching you. Week 17 will not be the case. They will absolutely not be the case against the Jets. Then you're going to get a playoff game. Probably. Almost for sure. That game will be the only game in that window. That's going to be, what is that? That's the Dallas game, the Baltimore game, the Pittsburgh game, the New England game, and a playoff game. Five out of six games where you are the big game. Where you are the game everyone's watching. That's cool. In itself. And with that, is going to be the Bills having to live up to those expectations because if they want to continue to be that team that gets the the night games and gets put in big spots. And that'll lead to maybe home primetime games. They need to perform in those games. And they've done it. They've done it. The Dallas game was their best game of the season. In the game last week, you know, I'm feeling better about the Bills, honestly, going into the playoffs, coming from last week. I already knew their offense was inconsistent. We all should have known that. We knew their offense was inconsistent. We knew it. We knew their defense was great. But we didn't know they could shut down Lamar Jackson. 
We did not. We like we knew Josh Allen in that Bills offense could very well have trouble with a very good defense. We did not know that Bills defense could shut down Lamar Jackson. And then he completely shut them down. But you hold Baltimore within 300 yards of total offense, you're legit on that side of the football. And that has me feeling very confident about the Bills going into the playoffs. I think if they win this week and you get to 10-4, and four, I am going to be thinking all about playoff matchups. And I don't know if there's a game out there for the Bills in the first round that I don't think they can win. I think they can win at Arrowhead. I think they can win at Foxborough. I think they can absolutely win in Houston. And it's the defense. It is. They have now proven that they can shut down the top offense. So when Patrick Mahomes goes up against you, now I can't assume and I can't expect, I guess, that you're going to hold him in check. But I know you can do it. And when I go into Arrowhead, if I can think about, hey, can I hold Patrick Mahomes 24 points? Because if I can do that, and now I'm going up against a weak defense in Kansas City, I can get to 24 with Josh Allen. I can get there. Houston. If I can shut down Lamar Jackson, I should be able to shut down Deshaun Watson. I can shut down that offense. Will Fuller's banged up. They don't have much of a running game. The offensive line is, you know, pretty good. It's better. It's not pretty good. It's better than it has been. It's been a joke for years. The defense is not that great this year in Houston. Same thing. If I can hold Deshaun Watson in check, which is I don't have to shut him down, but if I get him to 24 points, if that's what I got to clear, then I should be able to clear that. And that's going to be the goal for me for the Bills going forward. It's not just showing the capability of having that type of day that when the defense can hold an elite offense to 20 to 24 points, do I have an offense that can not only do that once in a while, top that number, but consistently top that number? Because the Bills have not consistently topped that number this season. They have not. That's not even that high a number, 24. And that's where the growth next season is going to have to come. And that's where some of the signings in the offseason are going to have to come, and and the draft, and all of it. That is their next step. Their next step, we keep talking about what next step the next step is because you got to keep going because this is not the end result. You don't want to just be a wild card team that, hey, we'll be okay if they lose in the first round because hey, it was a great season. We don't want to be that. What we want to be is the team that's a legitimate contender in the conference. And that might be the next step. But your offense has to be a lot better than it's been this season because their offense has been better. It is an average offense. It is. So where does the improvement lie. If Odell Beckham is available via trade, they need to do that. They need to get on the phone with Cleveland and right or wrong from this past offseason when the Giants called the Bills and the Bills didn't want any part of it. He's had a bad season? Good. Get him on a lower value. He's under contract. He's still young. He is one of the elites of the league at getting open. And Hey, I don't know. I know Josh Allen's been throwing a lot of people. uh, He's been throwing the ball over their heads a lot this year going deep. Beckham is fast. Beckham can jump like a million miles in the air. And if you want to have a guy that has a big catch radius, that's the guy you go for. I don't want a big lumbering 6'5 guy who can't run a 4'5". Give me Odell Beckham. I am all about that idea. And I hope that's a legitimate thing that could happen. I'd be worried that, you know, 
The Bills wouldn't want to do it because, hey, Beckham didn't get didn't like Cleveland, and that could be more, of course, than just what's going on with the team. That could be the city. That could be the atmosphere. He might want to be, you know, he leaves New York. He might want to go to Miami, or he might want to go to L.A. He might want to go to a big city. But if I can get him to at least be interested in the idea of coming to a team that was much better than the team he's coming from. In fact, the Bills... Beckham, if you, if the Bills, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott walk in to a meeting with Odell Beckham to try to convince him that the Bills are a good idea for him, how does that start? I think you could very well argue that you'd be the best team he'd ever sign up to play for. Like that Giants team that made a wild card spot, but that was not a seriously good team. The Browns are not good this year. The Giants were awful before he left or before he got traded out of there. So you could sell him on winning here. You could sell him on the big arm quarterback that can get it to you. De- I guess you can't say get it to you downfield, but can get you the ball. You can point to John Brown and say, "Hey, this guy had career numbers here this year. He was our number one receiver." Now you're going to be our number one receiver. Same thing. You're going to see big numbers. Cole Beasley. You can point to Cole Beasley and say, "Hey, career year playing with this quarterback and this offense. This is the atmosphere you want to be in." That's why I'm very, very happy that, man, that these receivers are playing the way that they're playing and that they're getting them the ball. Because that will do that will go a long way to selling an elite wide receiver on coming here. For years and years and years, the Bills have been the team where good receivers go and don't put up production. Look at Robert Woods. Robert Woods is putting up 500, 600-yard seasons for the Bills. He leaves in free agency, goes to the Rams, boom. 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards. We're talking eight, nine touchdowns instead of one or two. We're talking 80, 90 catches instead of 50. Sammy Watkins. I guess Sammy Watkins didn't have much of an increase in numbers, but you want to be that team. You want to be that team that you can sell top receivers, you can sell top offensive weapons on coming here because your offense works. And it's worked just well enough, I think, for you to be able to do that. It's worked well enough for you to be able to convince a player like that. It doesn't have to be Beckham, but I don't see a lot of other players of that caliber coming available, so maybe it does have to be Beckham. You're doing just well enough to convince a guy like that that he's the final piece. Because they might be a final piece or two away. They're getting close. I don't know what else you improve. Like, What are they going to spend all this $90 million on? I know this is looking way too far down the road. you got a Sunday night game coming up. You've got... You still got to clinch the playoffs. You've got a playoff game, maybe. You might have a division that you could still get, still win, although I find that hard to believe. But, you know, I tend to think way too far ahead, and I'm doing that right now because I see this team right now, and I realistically think they're a legitimately good team. They deserve to be in the playoffs, but they are not a contender in the AFC, not a serious contender to win the AFC. And that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. And what are those final pieces? What do you spend that $90 million on? Sal on Twitter today, point, or uh, a couple days ago, pointed out that the Bills have, I think, um, if they're not second, they're third. They're right up there top of the league in cap space. And now the NFL cap's going up even more. You're getting an extra $10 million bucks. So they're going to have over $90 million in cap space. What are you spending that on? What are you spending on that? There's going to be some really good pass rushers in free agency. I'm looking forward to seeing if the Bills are going to be in that market. There's some really good pass rushers actually available. Yannick Ngakwe, I know, is one from Jacksonville off the top of my head. I remember looking a couple days ago and there was a bunch. Um, receiver, I want to see, you would like to hope that they're going to spend some of that money on receiver. And what else does this team really, truly need? They don't need a lot. And that's why I think they're kind of only you know a piece or two away. 
from being a legit contender. And that's a good place to be. It's a really good place to be. That's where I'll be if they beat Pittsburgh. If they beat Pittsburgh, I'm thinking about how close they are to being a contender because they'll have the playoffs wrapped up. They'll be in a playoff spot. And then that will end the conversation about them being a playoff team. That will end it. Because coming into the year, that was what we were talking about. Are they good enough to be a playoff team? What's the recipe? How good does the offense have to be to make the postseason? All that's over. You're in. And then the next conversation is, all right, now what do I need to do to be a legit contender? Because I don't want to stay stagnant here. I don't want to be, I don't want to plateau. I'm ready for that conversation. I am ready for what do the Bills need to do to go from playoff team to AFC contender. That I am all about that. Because that is a real conversation. That is a conversation that great organizations have, the great teams have surrounding them. I want that. That has not happened here. <laughs> not not since I've been watching this team. And we are a win away from the final hurdle to getting to that point. And then we'll also talk about playoff matchups too. All in on that because I am pumped for that conversation. I'm already ready to do it right now. I've been playing around with the NFL playoff machine and... I was actually doing it the other day to find out scenarios where the Bills could miss the playoffs, and you, there's very few of those. Like you need Tennessee to win out, or you need Cleveland to win out. Like you need, and that's with you losing out. There's not a lot that can happen for them to miss. I think there's New York Times playoff machine maybe has them at like 65% um, to make it, even if they lose out. So, not really thinking too much about that. I'm thinking about playoff matchups. They play Houston if the season ended today. I'm all about that as the matchup. That would be my first choice. They're going to play New England, Kansas City, or Houston, almost for sure. I, or, wait, wait, almost for sure. I'm sorry, I forgot about Tennessee. I keep forgetting about Tennessee because they are legit now. They're good. I don't think I want to play Tennessee. Tannehill's good. If Tannehill plays that game in Tennessee against the Bills, I'm sorry, Bills fans, the Titans win that game. If Tannehill's in for Mariota against the Bills early in the year, Tennessee wins that game. Mariota stunk. And Tannehill's been great. So... I'm not about that matchup. I would still think the Bills would have a good shot. I'd rather have Tennessee than, I think, Kansas City or New England. But I want Houston. I really want Houston. That team can disappear on you at a moment's notice, and you will have no idea why. Where were they last week? Just got rolled. Why? It's the same roster. They've been putting out there every day. They don't have a lot of injuries. Just happens to them once in a while. You might be able to smoke them in their own building, depending if they don't show up. So I want Houston. That's where I'm at with that. And for that to happen, you know, you need Houston probably to split with Tennessee. They weirdly have two games against Tennessee in their final three weeks. So you want Houston and Tennessee to split, or you want Houston to win. You want them to win two of the three. If they win all three, then it's not that likely you'll play them. You'll probably play either Kansas City or New England. Because if they win out, they go at 11-5. and five. It's, You still could play them, but you have a better chance of playing them if they lose a game. I want Houston. 803-0550 is the phone number. The quick word on New England and Spygate 2. I think it's legit. I think it's legit. And I'll tell you why right after this on the Nightcap on WGR. Last call on the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. 803-0550. If you got any last thoughts here? Before we get you to... What's it? Wednesday we got... Pit Reporters up next for you NASCAR fans. Stay tuned for that.
Um, the New England Patriots caught cheating again. Probably, maybe, who knows, maybe not. Um, the whole Bengals thing going on right now with them, that they videotaped the Cincinnati sidelines. Roger Goodell was asked about this at his, uh, he just had a press conference today. I'm not really sure why he had a press conference, but he had a press conference. The owners' meetings wouldn't be going on right now. I'm not sure. But anyways, this is what he had to say on uh, on the New England uh, Spygate 2, as we're calling it. One of the things I've learned is you don't draw conclusions until you have all the information. So from our standpoint, I want to look at all the information. Once we have all the information, then we draw a conclusion. We're not going to draw conclusions along the way. I only had an opportunity to spend some time with a couple of our staff. You know, obviously it's under review. We're going to be thorough. We're going to take our time and make sure we look at everything uh, that's pertinent here, and then we'll make a decision. And obviously, there won't be much time before we make a decision when you hear about it. That's Roger Goodell. I really wonder, he said it won't be much time before you hear about it. I wonder if this guy's got the stomach for another drawn-out Patriot scandal. I hope he does. He should, because that would be doing the right thing. If you caught them cheating, they deserve to go down for it. And that's what it seems like. They have. There was a story from the from the bit the uh, was it from Business Wall Street Journal maybe maybe it was from the Wall Street Journal from 2015 that New England staffers were had been taping sidelines and were ready were given excuses to be ready with if they were questioned by security. Okay, well guess what? Four years down the road, if you read what those excuses were, some of them were. You're a team, you're, you're recording something for a team piece, like a video piece. They gave the example that we already knew that they were told to be given. Four years later, they gave it. They said this was for a, a day in the life piece on an advanced scout. Come on, are we really buying that? Who's buying that? This team has been caught twice for cheating. They probably have a library of everybody. In fact... The people saying, oh, it's the Bengals. They couldn't be cheating because they don't need to cheat to beat the Bengals. Because it's the Bengals, that makes it to me more likely that they've been doing this on a consistent basis. Because if you do it against the Bengals, you're probably doing it against everybody. You wouldn't just do it against the Bengals. There's also the argument to be made that it's a new coaching staff in Cincinnati that they wouldn't have a lot of this stuff on. And if they did this consistently, they wouldn't have it on Zach Taylor. And now they're trying to get it. It's way too coincidental. Way too coincidental. And this is, you. they do not deserve the benefit of the doubt. They do not. I just wonder if, if maybe if, if, if this comes out that this is basically Spygate 2, how many times do they have to do this before their legacy is tainted? Because I know right now that we talked about that when Deflategate happened. That was the conversation. Like, does this taint the legacy of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? They were caught cheating. They were suspended. But I don't think anybody thinks about that. When you think about their legacies, Belichick's still the greatest coach ever. Brady's still the greatest quarterback ever. That's the talk. Nobody brings up Deflategate. Nobody brings up Spygate. You should, but they don't. The one thing I don't want is just this to come come by again and get swept under the rug, and we just keep going about thinking about them as the best of all time if they get caught cheating for a third time, which I'm guessing they will. I'm guessing they did this on to gain signals to get hand signals that the Bengals coaching staff uses. You recorded their sideline for eight full minutes. I'm not buying them. I'm not buying their excuse at all. 
I'm not. All right, thanks everybody for listening to today's show. A lot of good stuff on the Sabres in the first hour, a lot of good football stuff in the second hour. I will be back with you on Friday. Tomorrow will be Sabres and Predators. Sabres have not won at home against Nashville since the Steve Bernier game. Remember that? The Steve Bernier game. That was the last time the Sabres beat the Predators at home. So that's tomorrow night. The Predators are not, by the way, playing that great this year. They're out of a playoff spot. They're struggling. Um... So a very winnable game for the Sabres, and they all look to hold on to second place in the division. And that means I will not talk to you until Friday. But until then, thanks everybody for listening, and stay tuned because you've got the Pit Reporters coming up next right here on WGR. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.